struggle with titles for uh, messages. And to me, it's, it's kind of nice right now because I could just use the title of the Torah portion. Um, and then I could be done with it. But of all the weeks, the Lord did give me a title for today as I'm sitting typing up my notes. But poor David, it was a pretty lengthy title. <laughs> and he was not sure if he could fit it on the, um, the CD. The title is The Destructive Power of Unreconciled Relationships. And we're going to look at Jacob and Esau. Um, I want to say this right now because I'm concerned that I'll forget about it because it's not in my notes. I was listening to a very powerful uh, message. It was part testimony and part message during the week. And this person is not yet a born-again believer. But what I... And I'm telling you this so that you listen carefully. Not to my words, but to the words of the Lord. So this man is like, there's barely a space between my thumb and my pointer finger. There's barely a space there. That's how close he is to understanding the truth of Yeshua. Here's his explanation for why he doesn't. He said, I, and I'm paraphrasing, because I didn't write down to quote him exactly. But I got the gist of what he was saying. He said, why do I need to be born again? Why do I need to believe in a man who died for the sins of the world, when basically the people who believe in him, believe in him and then go out and act however they want. This is a man who I truly believe is seeking. Because his whole message that I heard was about truth. So I know that he is looking for truth, the rest of the truth. He's got a wonderful handle on most of the truth. But the problem is, he can't make that final connection. Why? Raise your hand. Because we are the problem. We are the problem. Thank you, Wendy. We are the problem. And so, I had no idea that listening to this man had anything to do with Jacob and Esau. Um, but this is really, they get to be the, the, the bad guys in the message because it's Jacob and Esau's relationship and how it was fractured and how in the end it was unreconciled and led to so much destruction. So, I again thought about the history of Israel. And I thought about my own life. We have the history of Israel right here. And I don't know if you feel the same way that I feel as I'm reading through it all. I know I had a conversation several weeks ago with John 
about reading. And this, it's a tough read. You know, all of the sin and mistakes, all of the errors and disobedience and stuff. And it's like, oh man, would you want your history in a book that is read by hundreds of millions of people? You know, I, I got thinking about that in light of October 7th and, you know, all of these things. And I, wa- I just wondered maybe if that was the cause of some of the anti-Semitism. Because the mindset for unregenerate, unregenerated minds is, you know, to look at the physical and not the spiritual. And to look at them and not me. And unless we can relate to every verse in the scriptures, there really isn't much point in studying it. Maybe reading it, oh, you might get something out of it. But unless we study and we ask the spirit of the living God who lives within us to open our eyes, bring us revelation about how this looks like us. And so... This is the, the, the title of the message today, The Destructive Power of Unreconciled Relationships. And it, it deals with Jacob and Esau going back to Torah portions we've already looked at. And because it's not about the Torah portion, it's about the people. And it's about their relationship. And it's about how it affected generations. And how it affects us as we study this, this morning. So um, I'm going to start, let me see where I'm going to start. If you want to just kind of come along. Well, you know, I'm going to start where Rebecca is finally pregnant. and, uh, And it was actually a result of her husband's prayer. Because she was childless for, um, let's see, I don't know how many years. I I did know, but I don't know. So it doesn't matter. So she was childless, and we all know that in in that ancient world, and in some ways even today, um, if you are not able to conceive and have a child, it it was kind of a pox on you. (laughs) You know, it was was a very um, hard thing for the woman to deal with, and also for her husband to deal with, and the family to deal with, and the culture around her to deal with. And so um, Isaac, in in verse 21 of Genesis 25, it says that he pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And so she was having trouble with her pregnancy, and she, she, she went and did what we all should go and do when we have trouble in our life. In verse 22 of Genesis 25, it says this, The children struggled within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. When we're in the midst of trouble, is that our first default? Do we inquire of the Lord, or do we murmur and complain? Do we call somebody? Do we call our prayer partner? Prayer partners are wonderful things, but you know, the prayer partner might not hear the same thing from the Lord that he will tell you. So the first order of business is to inquire of the Lord yourself before you involve other people. 
So, and that's just really kind of an aside. But the Lord did say to her this, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So the Lord gives her a revelation about why there's this struggle in her womb. She's got twins. And there's going to be a little bit of a problem because the firstborn, the one who comes out first, is not going to be really, or not, won't receive the blessing of the firstborn. And so that's already going to be an issue. She probably already knows that there's going to be trouble ahead. That's my guess. Um, and so what we don't see here, and this I think is problem number one, she doesn't share the word from the Lord with Jacob. I mean, not with Jacob, with Isaac. I don't see evidence of it. Maybe she did and it just wasn't recorded. But as I think about it and everything that transpired later, it appears that Isaac was not aware. Right? Okay. So here's, here's one of the first problems that happens with a difficult relationship, whether it's brother, 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 sister, whatever. Doesn't matter. In verse 28 of Genesis 25, but let's start in verse 27. So the boys grew. So we have no idea anything else except they're, they're growing. Esau is a skillful hunter. Jacob is a mild man. Okay? Verse 28. And Isaac loved Esau because Isaac ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Okay, problem number one, having a favorite. Problem number one. And we can look in our own lives and look to see where we have favorites that are interfering with other relationships. Whether it's an interfamily relationship, neighborhood relationship, congregational relationship. That is the first problem, was the favorites. And I started thinking, where did that come from? Well, I started thinking about Isaac. Isaac had competition for a season, didn't he? Ishmael. Ishmael was competition in Isaac's life. Now, both Abraham and Sarah knew that Isaac was the son of promise, but also Abraham had a love for Ishmael. If it, I'm not going to go into it, but go back and read. Because when Ishmael was sent away, it grieved Abraham. He was grieved. This was his son. It may not have been Sarah's son, but it was his son, his flesh and blood. And so you can't help but wonder, was that experience in Isaac's life something that caused him to have a favorite? I don't know. I'm just saying. You know, because there, there are things that, as we all know from Scripture, there are things that we are handed down emotionally, physically, spiritually, and even like mentally. These things are handed down. They can be generational blessings or they can be generational curses. So 
we have to look at the whole picture. It's not just one person, one person's failure. It's all these factors that play into who we are today. Our childhood, our interpersonal relationships with our parents and our siblings, if we had siblings. There's, there's just so much involved. But I think when we understand this, we get a handle on how to pray and how to walk through these difficult relationships victoriously. Amen. Because this is what it's about. It's, and I truly believe this as well, that the stronger our vertical relationship is with the Lord, the, the more victorious we are in our horizontal relationships with others. It's our relationship with the Lord. It's like what Rebecca, Rebecca did, inquiring of the Lord when there was trouble in her womb. Do we inquire of the Lord when there's trouble in our household, when there's trouble in our community? I pray that's the first thing we do. So anyway, let's, uh, let's get back to this. Um, Then it's the whole thing with Jacob and Esau and, the, and the, <laughs> Esau's willingness to serve, to, to sell his birthright. And that has, some, that has some impact on this relationship as well. Um, why Jacob didn't just say, look, I'll give you some food. You're hungry. No problem. Why was it that he had to attach to the food the birthright? here's what my perspective is, a lack of trust that God was going to see to it that he would get what was his and Esau would get what was his. And that's a lot of our problem too, is not trusting the Lord and that he's going to work all of this out. Especially if there's a word, a prophetic word that has gone forth before. Now, I don't know who in the family knew about what the Lord had said to Rebecca doesn't matter. It's all about us and our perspective. Jacob wanted the birthright. And so he withheld the food instead of saying, oh, brother, you're hungry. Let me feed you. All right. So then we're over here to um, Genesis 27. Isaac's old, he can't see very well, and he's talking with Esau, and he asks Esau to go get some, the food he loves, and make it for him, and uh, he says, so that I may bless you before I die. Well, Rebecca was listening in on the conversation, and um, she has a plan. Rebecca has a plan. You know, this doesn't speak well for, for us women because Sarah had a plan that didn't work out too well. So, and Rebecca is very well aware of the plan of Sarah that didn't work out too well. But apparently, like most of us, she forgot. She forgot the consequences 
of that plan that Sarah had for a, a child who would inherit Abraham's blessing. So her plan is to have her son, her favorite son, let me say, Jacob go in and deceive his father. Pretend that he's Esau, make the food that he likes and just go in there and pretend that he's Esau. And Jacob, to his credit, says, you know, wait a minute, that's not going to fly because Esau's a hairy man and I am not. So it, 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 so he's not really initially willing to go along with this plan. So then his mother says, well, no problem. I'm just going to put some, you know, some skins on you with like some hair. So you could be, I mean, when you think of how, how intricate this, this plan was, I mean, she had it all figured out. Because she, she must have been looking right at her son and saying, man, I don't know how you're going to pass for, for your brother. Let me think. Hmm. Let me get some skins and strap them on your arms. So, like I said, you know, to, to Jacob's credit, he, he didn't initially go along with it. Um, so, I, I don't know. I, oh, and she also decided she was going to put Esau's clothes on him so that he would smell like Esau. So she had it all figured out. But she forgot about God in her little plan her little scheme. So she got them all dressed up and she put the, she put the skins on, on his hands and on his neck and uh, gave him the food that she had prepared. So <laughs> all that Jacob had to do was just stand there and get dressed up and then be handed the food and just go in and try to deceive his father. And it would seem like as soon as he was dressed to look like an animal, he started thinking deception on his own. Because Isaac's eyesight might have been going but he could hear pretty darn well. Because when Jacob starts talking, he says, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And so, then Jacob, um, sorry, I'm, keeping, I'm not keeping the name straight. Isaac says to Jacob, are you really my son? And what does, he, what does Jacob say? Yes. Are you really my son Esau? And he says, yes. So he receives this blessing that he would have gotten anyway. There was a severe lack of trust with Rebecca in thinking that God wouldn't work this out. Even after she overheard Isaac saying, get me some good food and I'm going to bless you. 
Did she think that that was impossible for God? Once her husband had food, God couldn't do something? And look, I'm not talking about, I'm not really talking about Rebecca and the food. I'm talking about us. When do we start devising our own plans because we're just too impatient to wait on God? We think we have a better plan. And so we put into motion that better plan. And we end up falling flat on our faces. And we ended up, we end up caught in our lie, caught in our schemes. That's what all this is about. It's not about these people in particular. It's about here's the story. How does it apply to me? So, it gets worse. Okay. So, because Jacob received the blessing, because nobody was aware that Jacob was supposed to get the blessing, Esau is ready to kill his brother. So, here it has devolved into a contemplation of murder. Because murder is something that is preconceived. And he's saying it. So he's conceiving this idea. And as far as we know, he was going to carry it out. I'm sorry, what? When sin is fully conceived, it leads to death. Thank you, I like that. All right, so, here we are. So he has to leave. And his mother says, please go to the house of my brother and get a wife there. Then I started thinking about Rebecca. And I thought, now, why would she plan this deceptive idea, this deceptive scheme. And then when it says, go to my brother Laban, I thought, she grew up in the same household. This is her brother, the one who ends up deceiving Jacob. So, you know, the plot gets a little thicker. Then we start thinking, okay, now we have a bit more of the picture. Here, Rebecca is raised with Laban. Laban is, don't, I won't buy that he decided to deceive Jacob when Jacob came. I think he was a deceptive character to begin with. So, Jacob goes to the well. He goes back to his mother's family. He's at the well. He sees Rachel He loves Rachel. He goes back to Laban's house. He said, you know, um, I love your daughter. I want to marry her. And Laban says, work for me seven years and I'll give her to you. And so Laban pulls a very deceptive and evil and cruel um, trick on everybody. Because everybody suffered. Leah suffered. Rachel suffered. And in the end, Jacob suffered. But there's scriptures in, that 
we have all read that said, you know, what you scheme against others will come back upon you. And it's interesting because that a very similar verse is in the book of Obadiah, which was our Haftarah reading this past week. And um, that's kind of what happened to Jacob. He suffered deception. His own sin came back upon him. So he receives Leah as his wife after thinking he was working for Rachel. And then Laban says, oh, well, just work for me another seven years, and I'll give you Rachel too. So he does do that, but then in the meantime, there, he stays with Laban, and Laban promises him certain wages and then reneges on the wages, and there's this cycle or circle of deception that Jacob just keeps having to live through. And prayerfully, when you have to live through this cycle of sin that you have also promoted, you would think, hopefully, that you would learn your lesson. And I remember listening to Joyce Meyer one time, and she had said something to the effect that um, the best way to learn a lesson is to see someone else commit a sin and suffer consequences, and you see that, and you say, oh, I'm never doing that, because I see the consequences that this person has to live through. She said the second best way is to go ahead and do it anyway, suffer the consequences, and learn your lesson. But she said, tragically, a lot of people don't do that. They'll commit a sin, they will suffer the consequences, and then they will immediately forget and commit the same sin over again. And she said, that is tragic. And so we really are without excuse because we have so many people who have sinned and suffered the consequences as our example. And isn't that what Rabbi Scholl wrote about in Corinthians? We have this as a admonition, a warning for us. But we have to pay attention to it. We can't be like the person that um, Yaakov, the book of James, who, who, when Yaakov wrote this and he said, you know, we look into the pure word of life and then we immediately, and we see our reflection and we immediately go away and for, we forget. We forget who we see and what we see in us. And we do nothing about it. And so what do we do? The same cycle again. We just keep repeating the same sins and suffering the same consequences. So, uh, so he decides that with all of this deception that he's had to live through, 20 years of deception, he decides that he is going to leave Laban, take all that he has, all his family, his, uh, his herds, his flocks, and he was going to go home. He's going to go home. But he knows he has to pass through his brother's territory. So he, goes, he sends out peace offerings, many peace offerings to his brother, praying that these peace offerings will kind of maybe smooth the meeting. And what I love about this is we don't know anything about Esau up to this point except his family. We know his, his wives and his children and all that. 
But that's all we know. We don't know anything else about him. We don't know if he's successful. We don't, we don't know anything. But what I do know is that when he saw his brother, he came running to his brother. Was that sincere? I don't know. I'm just reading it, and I think it is sincere. He came right. He could have just said, been very cautious, because his brother has already tricked him. And he could have been very cautious about coming into this uh, meeting. But he wasn't. He ran to his brother. And he was so excited to see him. And so they have some time together. And, and just keep in mind, this is just a summary. I'm not going into any details. So what happens is that then they're going to... They're, Esau invited Jacob to come back to, come back to his house, have a bite to eat. Um, so Esau goes back to his territory, but Jacob bypasses Esau and goes home. So I thought about that because I wasn't sure why would Jacob do that? It seems like it was a good meeting, right? I think it was a good meeting. He's inviting him back for some food and fellowship. That would be nice. You're tired from your journey. You go someplace where they're going to make you food and you can rest. The only thing I could think of is that he still did not, tr or he didn't trust his brother. And I want to read you something that I wrote down. Because I know that it's true for me. I believe that Jacob projected his own faulty nature on Esau. How many times do we do that? We judge somebody or prejudge somebody because we know our own nature. Did he distrust Esau? because of his own deception? I don't know, it's just a thought. But what I have come to learn, do I know human nature? No, but I've come to learn a lot about human nature. And I know that this is a true statement. That he may have projected his own faulty nature on his brother and thought, you know what, I'm not gonna take the chance. There might be a hot meal. There might be place for my herds and flocks to be watered and fed. But I'm going to trudge on to where I need to go and bypass my brother. We don't know anything else about this relationship except that it was not ever fully reconciled. That's all we do know. There was that initial meeting, and then Jacob did not pretty much accept Esau's invitation. I don't know what would have awaited him, but I'll tell you what I do know. That if there was any evil involved, if Esau was going to ambush him, don't you think that God who has protected Jacob this far and knows that the 12 tribes of Israel have already come through Jacob at this point. But Judah and Levi are among these, these important lines 
in the covenant family? Did Jacob ever think about the God that he encountered at Bethel would protect him and make sure that his family was protected so his line could continue? The kingly line and the priestly line could continue? O ye of little faith, O me of little faith, O all of us of little faith. So, the end of the story is this. Jacob goes on to you know, back to where God tells him to go and lives his life. Isaac dies. Jacob and Esau bury their father. That's all we know. End of the story. That's all we know. But what we do know is that Esau went back to where he and his people had settled. And years and years and years later, the Babylonians would come in to destroy the southern kingdom of Judah. And who was fighting alongside of them? The Edomites. We read it in the scriptures, but we especially read it in the book of Obadiah, which is why that's the Haftorah. And basically, they were destroyed by God, the Edomites. And there's one reason why they were destroyed by God. Because God says this, I will bless those who bless Israel. And remember, throughout these scriptures that I'm, these chapters in Genesis that I'm teaching from, is the point when God changes Jacob's name to Yisrael. And so God made this promise to Abraham, and it's true right up until today. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Esau's descendants cursed Jacob's descendants, and they are no more. And I don't say that with any, see, you got what you deserved. Because I know what I deserve. But for the cross of Messiah, I'm not going to get what I deserve. And so, I look at what's happening in our world today. God still says... I will bless those who bless Yisrael, and I will curse those who curse them. But God also says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But that all will come, this is my paraphrase, to know me and my son. Because ultimately that's it. Because when we come to know Yeshua, that's when we can even have a vertical relationship. I mean, yeah, vertical relationship. Without that, it's a struggle 
with all of those horizontal relationships. It just is. So let's learn from these guys because their stories are there for a reason. They're for us. They're for me. They're for you. So that we can walk in holiness and we can walk, this was one of my readings this week, that we can love without hypocrisy, that we can abhor what is evil and cling to what is good, that we can be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. I read this list after listening to this young man and I thought, geez, if we really lived like this, that young man who said, now, I, I, I can't buy this because the people who believe this act any way they want. That's us he's talking about. On any given day, would you want this young man? He's not so young, but would you want him to see some of the things you do, some of the things you say? You know, I don't think we have a, a real grasp on how our words and our actions and our attitudes really affect people. They affect believers, but to a greater extent, those who do not yet believe. And we could be responsible. I don't want to stand before the Lord and have him say, well, you know, so-and-so could have been here, except this is what you did, and this is what you said. You have the blood of my son, but you kept that person from fully knowing and understanding and receiving the blood of my son. I'll tell you, when I heard that young man say that, it just, I, just, I had to stop the, the computer, I had to stop the, the little, his talk, because I thought, that's us. If we in the body of Messiah could truly grab hold of that and grab hold of all of the places in Scripture. I'm reading from Romans 12, but there, I, I, there's a beautiful list in Colossians and another beautiful list in Ephesians of how we're supposed to look. I, I only got to, where did I get to? I don't know, verse 11. And, and I stopped there because I was praying and weeping because I'm not that person. But I want to be that person. That's my heart's desire. So you, you can read Romans 12, 9 through 21. Here, here's one of my favorite verses in that whole scripture. Verse 18 if it is possible, as much on, as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Well, you know what? It does depend on us. We have the blood of Messiah. We have the Spirit of God in us. It does depend on us. But we take the easy way out. And after all, don't I have rights? This person's not nice to me. Why should I be nice to them? Right? God is good. He's not going to leave us the same way we were yesterday. He's not going to leave us the same way we are today. He loves us.
He loves us and we love him. If we didn't love him, we wouldn't be sitting here. And y'all wouldn't be nodding your head because this is truth. But y'all are. So, Lord, we just bless you. We love you, Lord. We love you and we bless you. And we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for this, the privilege and blessing that we have to come into this building that was transformed into your dwelling place for these few hours that we are here. And Father, I want to pray right now that your presence would linger in this place as these young people come in here to perform their play. I pray that your, your presence would linger in this place as the audience comes in to encourage these young people. I pray, Father, for the power of your spirit and the power of your presence to make a difference today, not just in us, but the people who rent this building after us and tomorrow and the day after that. But above all, Lord, we all ask, change us, O God. Change us, O God, into the image of your Son. We read these things this week. We know what's to come. As Jacob continues to suffer for his deception, when his favorite son, again, favorite son, Joseph, the one with the coat of many colors, is sold into slavery by his brothers, and they deceive their father. It's like it's the never-ending story of deception. Oh, Lord, help us put a stop to the generational sins and the generational curses in our families. But we need your grace and your courage to do this, Lord. We've read the story so far. We see ourselves in this. And all we say is this. Thank you for the blood that covers our sins. Thank you for your spirit that gives us the power to overcome sin and darkness in our own life. And thank you, Lord, that you give us the grace to be your light in this dark world. We bless you and honor you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.